Hello, you. It's Graham Norton here. Thank you for listening to my Virgin Radio podcast with Waitrose this weekend. Natalia Tenna joins me in the studio to chat about starring as Rebecca Vardy in the new Channel 4 show Vardy v Rooney, a courtroom drama. Adam Lambert comes to us fresh off his album announcement to tell us about his new single Mad About the Boy and the upcoming record High Drama. Martin Kemp tells us stories from his life in his new book Ticket to the World, My 80s Story. We launch our all-new Waitrose Christmas Cracker Competition. Martha's making us some tasty treats to keep us warm this winter. And we're putting our heads together to solve your dilemmas in Graham's Guide. Here's Maria to kick us off. Good morning. Yes, I had I had to just shout to try and stop you talking. You, you were in full flow. I was in the middle of a sentence. I did not see that the red light had come on, which means everybody, please be quiet, because Graham is about to speak. I'm about to address the nation. Uh, how are you? I'm all right, thank you. Oh, three degrees. Don't sing. Don't sing. When will I see you again? But now you're doing it. Yeah. Um, three degrees this morning when I... Came on the train. My little hands were quite cool. I, no, we had this discussion. You have gloves, and yet you <laughs> didn't wear them. I'm going to do what mums used to do, and I'm going to put them at the end of through your sleeves and t- attach them with a little piece of wool. Oh, wouldn't because that be what lovely? is the point of having gloves if when you arrive here, you your hands can't yeah. even do the buttons? We should. Do you know what? We should. Adults should have that, shouldn't they? Should we bring it back? Oh, I think big time, big time. Have you put a decoration up yet? No. Have you? Uh, not yet, but there is a tree in my hall going, I'm naked! People are looking through the window, I'm naked! Uh, so I'm going to have to do something with it this afternoon. Are you doing it this afternoon? You see, you quite like it. Whereas I think, oh, everything's in the attic and it means I have to go up into the attic. Yes, that is, a, that is boring, going into the attic. I might yeah. just put two reindeer candlesticks up as a sort of minimalist Christmas. <laughs> can I do that? You can. Scrooge. <laughs> Yes, so people come back. I was in London Town this week, Graham. Were you? Doing an interview. I did the interview of Mr. Louis Theroux. <gasps> you you turned the tables on I, Louis Theroux. I, I did. He's a tough nut to crack, let me tell you that. <laughs> he's not taking any prisoners. Oh, no, he's lovely. He's a really lovely chap. One he is the, very nice. The most asked question when I was saying to people, I'm going to interview Louis Theroux, oh, what's he really like? Because that can't really be him. <laughs> and it is. I think. I think the, the him you see in those new interviews, you know, the big long ones he did with Stormzy. And yes, Dem- lovely Dem- one with Stormzy. Um, I think that's much closer to who he is. I think, he, you know, before, before he was kind of acting a bit, he was being a bit gormless. And, uh, well, I said that. And in fact, I said gormless and then I said a bit moronic and, and then he threatened to walk. <laughs> <laughs> Um, because that's a way of getting people on side by thinking this guy is not a threat yeah. and so on and so forth. But yes, I think you're right with showbiz folk and also he's mellowed with age. And as I know, some people know who he is. They know so who he you, is. You now. can't pretend to be gormless now because yeah. clearly you're going to. And also much less danger. I mean, he was in so much danger interviewing neo Nazis and far right people and. Uh, you know, the sort of weird when he did Weird Weekends. So interviewing Judy Dench is not going to present a danger to you, is it? Well, she has that parrot. It could turn at any time. <laughs> this is true. How was your week? Uh, what did I do? Oh, I was in Ireland. I was oh, in Ireland sure very briefly. Sure, no, you were in Ireland uh, land. For uh, the mothership's birthday. Uh-huh. Uh, 91. Oh, God love her. I know. Uh, uh, so that was nice. And, and actually, Joe, it was really nice just popping back uh, tired. It was quite mild as well. It, was, it wasn't very cold. Yeah, right not yeah. anymore. Not anymore, Graham. No, cold everywhere. Cold First everywhere. of December, literally, it just became winter overnight. 
Well, it should. It's December. I mean, it was weird that it was... <laughs> no, but we all keep thinking global warming, we're suffering the winds and the rains, can we have mild as well? Could we? Could we please have mild? Glo- <laughs> a little bit of global warming. Can we choose? Can, we set, can we set the earth? I was joking. I don't mean that. It's all no, terrible. It's terrible. It's all awful. Uh, <laughs> right, talking of terrible. Virgin Radio. Letters, please. Yeah, here we go. Dear Graham and Maria... I have been friends with a guy for about ten years, since university. We moved in together and have an amazing friendship. I'm gay and had a small crush on him when we first met, but he has had a long-term girlfriend for the entire time we've known each other. Recently, he and his girlfriend had a fallout. We went out on a night out and, upon returning home, he kissed me. Nothing was said that night or since. He and his girlfriend have since gotten back together. I hate that word, gotten. I'm confused and unsure of what I should think or feel. I'm scared to raise the issue and damage our friendship. But there's a part of me that still has a crush on him. Should I keep quiet or should I say something? That is from Jamie in Sussex. Oh, Jamie in Sussex. Look, I think you're friends with him. You can talk to him about anything. You've lived together. You've known each other for ten years. Surely nothing is off the table. But... Because of that, if anything was going to happen with you and your friend Jamie in Sussex, I think it already it would have done. You would have had an inkling about it before. I think this was a drunken night. He was a bit upset and needy because split up with girlfriend of ten years by the sounds of it, which is a big deal. And you know, when you're drunk, you just do things, and it doesn't really mean very much. He hasn't mentioned it to you. You could say, "Hey, that was weird. What was that all about?" And he'll just say, "Oh man, I was drunk." That's what he'll say, I think. But not necessarily say, oh, man. He might say, oh, Jamie, I was drunk. Um, I was drunk, bruv. Bro. Bro, (laughs) not bruv. Uh, So I don't think it's going to go anywhere. And, you know, this crush you had, and it obviously went away, and now it seems to have come back just because he kissed you sort of in a mad way. But I'm going to hand you over to my learned friend who's possibly been in this situation, Jamie. Jamie, all I would say to you, men are useless. Men are just so useless. He was just needy and he thought, oh, there's someone, I'll kiss them. I and, know. And, and, and was willing to sacrifice your whole friendship for that stupid kiss. Um, oh, Jamie, don't, I wouldn't bring it up. Uh, there's no point because, as Maria says, he'll either go, oh, I don't remember, which will be really annoying, or he'll do that when oh, I was so drunk I. Um, and and also, as Maria said, you know, if this was going to happen, it would have happened. Uh, I just, it's not worth thinking about. It was just uh, a drunken kiss and it happened. And also, because men are useless, if he was really interested, I think there'd have been more than a kiss that night. I think it was just a kind of... I think the kiss probably sobered him up. <laughs> and he sort of thought, oh, yeah, I'm out I of mean, here. I just think sometimes when you're drunk and there's somebody that's constant in your life, as you are, Jamie, and, you know, men aren't very good at doing affection and giving affection and all of that, so maybe he just thought, oh, man, Jamie is really nice. I'll kiss him. Mm, maybe. <laughs> or, or maybe he wasn't thinking anything. He just thought, oh, there's a face with some lips on it. <laughs> That's it's what quite, I do, isn't it? It's quite close to mine. I'll kiss that now. Night. I mean, all you can do is say we're cool about everything, aren't we, after what happened, and he'll just go, what happened? Yeah. I mean, he's just going to back off from all of this, Jamie, so I would just put it down to experience and cast your net 
wide. Yes, because even if he kind of went, oh, actually, I do, I have a little soft spot for you, and you start having some sort of weird closeted affair it will end in heartbreak and misery so you whatever whatever's going on i think i think we're absolutely right that nothing's going on but if if there was something going on it's going to end so spectacularly badly with you not having a flat or flatmate or a heart <laughs> or a friendship <laughs> yeah so uh, don't even think about yeah. it don't even think about it now my favorite responders today will be getting <gasps> heston from waitrose pear and fig mince pies and triple cheese pastry you heard me uh, moorish mince pies bringing together the flavors of a festive cheese board do you see pear and fig inside and then a triple cheese in the actual pastry there you go. Heston from Waitrose. Lovely. David from Preston disagrees. As someone who fell for my straight best friend seven years ago after a drunken kiss, if I hadn't told him how I felt, we wouldn't be together now all these years later. <gasps> oh, it's like a gay Hallmark film. It's always worth a chance. Tell him how you feel and just make sure you're prepared for rejection. But take the chance. OK, Jamie. I mean... I don't think anyone else is thinking that. I mean, David, it worked for you. I think David's been in touch with another problem where he'd also experienced something weird. David's obviously, he lives a life on the edge. He's, he's fearless as David and Preston. Uh, oh, John and Sally Bridge. Oh, Jamie, no. Just no. And again, no. He was drunk and lonely and wanted affection. Don't bring it up. Except he's straight. Move on. As one gay man to another who has been there, it's never going to be worth it. Well, let's put John and David in a sock and let them fight it out. Uh, Mark's in Surrey. If you're really good friends with him, have a drink with him. Go out for dinner. Ask him how he is. Ask him again. Make sure he's not faking it. Why did they break up before? Is he happy? Sorry, lots of questions, but don't drink too much and kiss him again. But do see what happens. What's wrong with a bit of bromance, bruv? Well, that's uh, bromance is fine, but I feel like it's going to just engage Jamie's heart and, you know, he won't be open to doing other things. And Sarah in Leamington says, Oh, Jamie, I'm thinking your friend wasn't seeing properly and mistook you for his girlfriend. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's drunk or Jamie's pretty or the other alternative isn't so great. There's no future for this relationship. He's your friend only. Move on. Stay friends. He sounds like a bestie that you don't want to lose. Find your own man. All right. Thank you very much. I'm going to give the uh, the parent fig mince pies and triple cheese pastry to David in Preston for his life experience, his cheery, optimistic life experience. Graham's Guide. I'm going to read you another letter regardless. Do try and keep your noises to okay, a minimum. I will. I will, of course. Dear Graham and Maria... Oh, no, that's yesterday's. I mean, yeah, this morning. That's, I've already read that. But it was very good. Yeah. I mean, I could hear it again, yeah. but, yeah. <laughs> will you have something different to say? <laughs> yeah, I will. I'll totally change my mind. Go for it. <laughs> Dear Graham and Maria, I've worked in my office for just shy of six months, and whilst everything was fine when I was settling in, recently I felt really let down. Oh, no, recently I felt really down when I'm at work because I feel like the other members of my team are ganging up on me. 
I feel like I'm excluded from some meetings and conversations that I need to be aware of and then made to feel stupid for not knowing things when they're brought up in conversation. My colleagues often interrupt me when I'm working and I'm also often the butt of jokes, office jokes. When I try to join in and laugh it off, they ignore me and carry on the conversation somewhere else. I thought I was going crazy and spoke to my manager, but they've dismissed it and said I was overreacting. I'm now experiencing the same sort of behaviour from him. It's my first office job and something I was really excited to get started with when I joined, but now it all feels sour. I don't know how much longer I can stay as it's making me really miserable, but I'm finding it really hard to find another job. I don't know what I've done wrong and I don't know how to manage day to day in the office. I'd very much appreciate your views on how to make my work days bearable. And that is from Harriet in Lincolnshire. Well, Harriet in Lincolnshire, that is horrible when these sort of things happen. And there is a kind of office mentality that sort of picks on the weakest link, I think, sometimes. I I am wondering myself, reading your letter, Harriet, just how much of this is your magnification of maybe a couple of things that that you're now turning into something more. If that is the case, you must stop immediately and rewind. The way you get round this, I think, is you just, I know I say it a lot, but you just fake it until you make it. You kind of don't let any of it bother you. You walk into the office with a big smile. Morning, everybody. You be the annoying person. If you're annoying, be the annoying person, but just keep your own counsel and keep your pecker up, as it were, and don't let anybody see that it's having any effect on you. For your manager not to react to it and to say that you are overreacting, if it gets really bad again, the only thing you can do is go back to them and say, I don't know what I've done, I really want to get on with everyone. Maybe you're trying too hard. Maybe that's something to do with it. What do you think, Graham? I mean, it's not... The trouble is, I think when a, a gang kind of bullies someone like this, when someone is chosen as the victim of the group, and that's clearly what's happened to Harriet here. Has it? I we think it has. Okay. I really think it has. I, right. I, I, I read her letter and I don't think she's exaggerating. The fact that you just know... I, I feel for you, Harriet, because it must be so hard to go into an office every day where you know that somehow everyone's just... You know, it's not like they hate Harriet. It's but She's just... She's sport, though, isn't she? Yes, she's, she's just that one that you can just be a bit dismissive of. If you crack a joke, kind of go, oh, Harriet will do that, or, you know, whatever. And and you've done nothing wrong. Even, you know, even if you are the one who brings the smelly lunch or you dress differently to everyone else or you have crazy hair, whatever, you know, because often that person has done something to attract negative attention. Yes. It's not your fault. They shouldn't be doing this to you. Um, and I do think that's really bad. But well, manager been, was, yes. Yeah, that he was unsupportive because he... His job is to go to everyone else and say, look, take it easy on Harriet. She's really upset. Yes. She's not finding any of this funny. And now he's doing it as well. Yeah. I mean, what about if you stand up in the middle of the office, get on a table and Already say... I'm going to stop you. <laughs> <laughs> well, she, if she's going to leave, she might as well go down in flames and just say, please, will everybody just stop being horrible? I'm a human being. I have feelings and you're making my life miserable. Thank you. Goodbye. And they'll all laugh and they'll hate her more. Oh, um, no, or I... will they? Yes. Uh, Harriet, you... Yeah, I mean, I think I know yeah. they will. No, Harriet, you're you're doing the right thing because I think you are in a very toxic environment, so you need to look for a new job. Yes, you're finding it very hard, but you will find one. In the meantime, 
just what about gird goes, your loins. Gird what about your if she loins. goes to the manager and says, I really can't cope with this anymore. I, I think I'm going to have to look for a new job. And um, what will he say to that? You're the manager. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to have to look yeah. for a new job. What? I mean, and also, I guess a, a lot of people listening to this, they'll, you know, they work in offices. They'll know kind of various protocols. And there's a, maybe they maybe there's a HR department. But in a smaller office, there might not be a HR department. So you just don't know what's going on here, Harriet. But whatever, you have stumbled into a doozy of an office, Harriet, um, where it's kind of turned into the worst of school. You know, that horrible... It, it's like she's gone back to school. I know, sometimes that never really leaves, does yeah. it? Especially if the... I mean, you've only been there six months, Harriet, if the office was very tight before. You just have to hope, above hope, that somebody new comes along because yeah. it seems to be some sort of weird initiation ceremony. Well, it's also that thing, it's post-COVID as well because they were probably all working from home. Now they've got back in and they're a bit overexcited and that herd mentality has kind of kicked in Yeah. and you're the newbie. And I... I and somehow, keep looking for a job, Harriet, yeah. but, but keep being strong as well. Don't let them win, is what I want to say no. to you. Yes, never, never let them see that you're upset or anything. And this manager, I mean, he's the really useless person in all of this. Yeah, I yeah. would go back to him. Yeah, get and him fired well, before then, you go. Well, just say, it's really got beyond the joke. And if you can't see it, I think I'm going to have to leave. But please, will you have a word? Because it's really getting me down now. I think you just have to remind people that you're a human being with some feelings. That's what uh, the herd often forgets, yes. doesn't it? And I think one of the good things about the world has changed slightly is that people now take this sort of thing more seriously. And they listen. Well, you'd think. Well, you'd think. That's why I'm so surprised. You know, because I think there was a time when you just eye roll and go, oh, shut up, get on with it. But now you go, oh, no, this woman is, you know, we're damaging her mental health. You know, we're, she's working less effectively. It's all, you know, there's no reason for her to have this horrible experience. So make it stop. But this manager, useless. Useless. A dinosaur of a manager. Yeah. Yes, and make him extinct before you leave. I think Virgin Radio listeners will have uh, often been in this position or been the bullies, maybe. No, never. (laughs) Never. Our listeners. Our listeners. Our listeners. No. Stop. The responses part two. Favourite responders getting the Heston from Waitrose Pier and Fig Mince Pies in triple cheese pastry. That's three cheeses in pastry. Great advice from Julie from Liverpool. Thank you so much for this. Didn't know this. ACAS have a confidential helpline for any work situation. They'll give you advice and if you decide to make a complaint to HR, they support you. And if you have a case, they will act on your behalf. Graham is right, this isn't you. It's your teammates and manager who are the problems. Take control and get some independent advice uh, from ACAS. And this is the thing, you know, I think maybe officers are slow to react. There was a time not so long ago when this was acceptable. You were supposed to just shut up, shut up and put up if you were if you were Harriet. But that isn't the case anymore. You know, you, you have a voice, Harriet, and you must be listened to. Alex in Wells. Harriet, you found yourself in a nasty office culture clearly created by the management style of your boss. It's not your fault. Stick at it until you find another job and don't let this undermine your confidence. Really unfortunate that this is your first office experience. Andrea and Porter said, you need to talk to HR and also make a note of each incident, especially the ones where they don't invite you to meetings you should be attending or don't give you the information you need to do your job. Write down the person, date and time of each incident. Gather evidence of bullying and harassment to give to HR. They should take care of the problem. And Rach in Starbridge, Harriet, these are classic playground bullies who are trying to protect, project their insecurities onto someone else. 
act like you don't give two hoots, reflect their behaviour back to them and keep searching for a new job. Uh, good luck with the job search, Harriet, because I think ultimately that is the thing that's going to make you happy. I'm going to give the uh, the mince pies to Julie from Liverpool for that ACAS advice, which we hadn't heard before and is really good to know. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. She's here, ladies and gentlemen. She is playing Rebecca Vardy in the upcoming Channel 4 series Vardy v Rooney, a courtroom drama. Her name is Natalia Tena. Hello. Hello, thank you for having me. And we are delighted to have you yeah. because there is so much excitement about this show. <sighs> like, people are... <laughs> but, uh, but I think what's interesting, I was saying earlier, I kind of thought, because it was Channel 4, I thought it might be a bit jokey, a bit star stories, and it's not. It's straight down the barrel. No, no, it's... it's yeah, it's, it's, it's a proper drama, and I think... Una, the director, who is amazing, she was such an incredible woman to work with. She really wanted people to 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 just f- to empathise with both women and and her, the way she talked about them, she was a bit like, look, I, I see them a bit like these power queens, a bit like you know Elizabeth the First and Mary Queen of Scots, and they're they're fighting tooth and nail for their reputation, and that was the kind of angle she was going for. I know because the tone of it is mm-hmm. it must have been quite hot, you know, because there are funny moments in it. Yeah, 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 of course. I mean, the transcripts, they're, they're, yeah. Yeah. And this is all based on the actual court transcripts. Yeah, everything is verbatim. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, of course, it's not... I mean, it, you're the star of it. <laughs> but uh, other people are in it. Yeah, yeah, uh, So Chanel Cresswell, she plays uh, Colleen Rooney. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of your stuff is with Michael Sheen. Yeah, so... <clears throat> he is... An incredible actor, and he actually the first day of filming. So we had we had such a short time scale to do this. I mean, I got the job, and in five days I had to start filming in Budapest. It was a very you know very tight, and so I didn't really get to meet him till we were on set, and I was saying the first word, which is I'm Rebecca, you know Rebecca, Rebecca Vardy, and I was like, oh god, and he stood up and. I felt the fear of what it must be like to be in court because I didn't know anyone there. Everyone's just staring at me, and he is so. He's such a good actor. It was it was very intimidating being you know crossing down by him. And the the transcripts exist, but that's mm-hmm. that's it. There are no tapes of what it sounds like in court. There's no footage of no, it. No, no, no. I don't think you're allowed to in the U. I think in the US. Yeah, there would have been. You yeah. can, but I think in the UK it's it's illegal. And so, what's your take on it all now? Now that you've been inside it, <sighs> do you understand why Rebecca Vardy took the case? I have no. I have no idea. I mean, I didn't know who any of these people were. <laughs> when I when I auditioned, I got the audition on the 29th of July, and I was like, I was with some friends who are kind of in 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 the business, and I was like, what is this Wagath? What I can't? And like, okay, so these these are the. Are you joking? Do you not know who Rebecca Vardy is? And clean. I know. I was like, I know who Wayne Rooney is. And I'm like, no, no, no. So it it took me a while to even kind of access that universe at all. Um, and then I just started watching her obsessively. I, like, I love the fact that a few days after the verdict was announced, she immediately went and did like an hour-long interview. And so I watched that on repeat, on repeat, on yeah. repeat, just trying to get all her mannerisms, which I really hope I've achieved. <laughs> no, I, you're so good. You're both so good in it. Oh. But, but I, what amazes me is, because I think we all thought, when she brought the case, we kind of thought, oh, she must have 
she must know something we don't. Mm-hmm. And then as the as the trial progressed, you realise, no, no, she doesn't. Well, yeah, I mean, let, let's see what people think once they once they see it with the actual transcripts. Because obviously there was so much stuff happening outside and, you know, it was it was reported from the outside. So I think maybe this is going to give a new perspective of what actually was yeah. said in court. And hopefully, I don't know, I don't know how it will affect people's opinion. And uh, uh, did she know that they had access to all those text messages and stuff? I have no idea. I literally, I have not, no idea about any of that. Um, I don't, I mean, I don't even know. <sighs> I, it, I, it, you know, it's baffling because I don't know how much either side knows about what the other one's going to bring to court on the day. Yeah. It's, it's kind of all a bit up there. So, And at the end of it, obviously you're Team Vardy because you, yeah, ha- you yeah, have course. to be Team Vardy. Absolutely. But was the, was the verdict correct? <sighs> I don't know. I mean, when I was speaking to... The director, um, you know, she was saying that a lot of people, I think, that were in the court, you know, kind of there watching, were were thinking that, you know, maybe the judge would give a different verdict, more like, okay, not have to pay reparations, for example, because it, there's murkiness there, actually. Um, so, which is what, you know, the director's trying to, you know, trying to get us to see in this production. Yeah. I mean, and I, certainly, I think we all found it funny and a, a hoot. <laughs> While it was going on, because mm-hmm. it was because the stakes seemed so low, but then the defeat was so crushing for yeah. Rebecca Vardy. I think everyone felt a bit sorry for her. Well, and also it's, I mean, if if the feeling that she had going into court was, I mean, it must have been ten times what I felt, and I I really was, I did feel very vulnerable every single day at work. Um, it was a bit scary, and every day because it was such a fast turnaround, we had five days to prepare, two weeks to shoot it all. I was, you know, emotionally exhausted and broken at the end of every day that we were doing it. Yeah. So she must have felt that as well. Yeah, because she did seem so... I mean, because she didn't have... Well, because she didn't have any defence. <laughs> she was just... She was yeah. just... You know, they were just pounding up all this evidence. It was... It is... It must have been and so also, awful I, for her. I think, I think from, from what we've seen at court that her... Her fella, because of work, couldn't be there. So she was kind of alone at co- you know, in court, whereas Clean Rooney had her husband every day. And I think that not having that support must have... Yeah. Just one more thing. Talia Tanner, so nice. Uh, she, it isn't just here to talk about uh, Vardy v Rooney, a courtroom drama on Channel 4. She also made us delicious chocolate orange <laughs> Florentine. And that was above and beyond. I love... I just love making Florentines. And actually, yesterday I had an audition. I had to get in really quickly. And I find baking helps with learning lines. So it's like... Blah, 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 repeat a line, 25 grams of milk, mixed peel, blah, 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 50 grams of flour. And it kind of helps kind of doing stuff when you're not focused, learning lines goes in quicker for me. Wow. And I'm kind of amazed that you're still in an audition state of mind. I thought you were now at one of those people where, oh, let's ask Natalia (laughs) if she'd like to do it. Oh, I wish. I absolutely wish because I hate self-taping so much. I love going into auditions, but I'm so bad technically that... I just, oh, I just doing self tapes is always a nightmare, but um, I think now with with the fact that we've got so many shows happening, and that you know it's just got bigger and bigger all these platforms. Now a lot of actors have to audition. I mean, of all of all calibers, you know. So it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah, definitely yeah, yeah. changed the game. But also, I think this show might change the game because this is such a big splashy <laughs> show, and there's all because episode one is basically you. Yeah, and then episode two is Chanel's. Is Chanel's, um, and then of course we were talking while the record was on. There is this murky third character. Yes, her manager who doesn't appear. But she's in. You 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 find a way to include her in the show in the. 
Yeah. Yeah, like yeah, which she's talked about obviously and you know mentioned and referred to. Yeah. Yeah, and you and see. And she's kind of a bit there in the background. You kind of see her watching, uh, you know, as it unfolds everything. So yeah. Yeah, um, and uh, I mean, yes, and and Rebecca Vardy must have thought, oh, she she's got my back. Yeah, I mean, uh, presumably, yeah, but uh, I think she claimed, you know, she had she had mental health issues and couldn't come to court again, leaving Vardy alone to deal with all of this alone without her manager, who you know maybe you know could have stood up for her or her husband. Yeah, but and Rebecca Vardy, I mean, she didn't stint on her defence. Well, actually, hang on, she was the prosecutor, wasn't she, mm-hmm. Rebecca Vardy? You mm. brought the case. Yeah, you, yeah, I brought the case. Yeah, <laughs> you brought the case. No, no, yeah, because you, Tomlinson, uh, Casey, the you know your lawyer, solicitor, whatever. Oh, I mean, yes. Simon, yeah. the actor was lovely. He was wonderful. And in fact, the, both both of the men, the lawyers, they had so much cramming to learn because obviously me and Chanel had to, in five days, somehow, you know, upload <laughs> these different characters, mannerisms. But but the chaps had such a huge amount of dialogue to learn in five days. I was, I was just every day impressed with what they were doing. Yeah, because you got to have a nice folder in front of you, presumably. Well, no, but they, they, no, they didn't have the lines. Mine, mine just had folders of just pictures, and I was like, "Help, help! Can I read? No, yeah. can I have a biro, please?" <laughs> and why on earth did you have to go to Budapest to film this? I don't know. I think they just found the right location, the right everything there, and yeah, and it had to be done in this two-week period. There was no, you, we couldn't move it. I mean. I was I was genuinely terrified about. I think this was one of the scariest jobs I've ever done because every job has its challenges. Yeah. Standard, but this it was the pressure of having just such a limited time to 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 be someone else and hopefully pull it off. And also her nails. That was one of the hardest things for me. <laughs> I, like my nails, obviously you guys can't see, but they look like manky, chewy twiglets. You know, she's got these beautiful, elegant nails that took three hours for them to put on me, and then I didn't know how to use a toilet. Of course. I had to get Chanel to like, because it was a pressing <laughs> one, and she was like, babes, use a knuckle. And I couldn't, like, how to type. I had learned how to button. It was like oh, learning how to be this whole new person. High top skills. And yes. thing, at the end of this, would you like to meet Rebecca Vardy? Absolutely. Hands down, I would buy a drink. Wow. Because you are going to bump into her. I really hope so. I would, I, in fact, there was, just before we started filming, I was like, I didn't know what the legal, you know, world is and I didn't want to kind of get step on any toes, but I really wanted to reach out to her and I really wanted her because her for me one of the hardest things for me it was her accent. It's, it's you know, she was born in Norwich, but obviously she's moved around so she's she has the lilt of Norwich, but then she's been in Reading in London. And I found it very hard to nail. And I was like I really wanted to ring her and be like, "Can you just I know you might have PTSD from this court case, but can you just read <laughs> all of this transcript again and like, can I record it so I can listen to it? So hopefully you should all, be happy And also it. because there's also that layer of aspiration on her voice mm-hmm. as well. Because what we were talking that also during the song, that there's a, it just alluded to in, in the drama that she had a very tough upbringing. Absolutely, yeah. And, and, and suddenly she's in this court case, you know, being cross-examined by, you know... Wealthy, well-educated white men uh, in, in this room, and I think you can see her trying to kind of posh up in some ways as well. That, that's yeah. the element. I, that's the idea that I got from her interviews, and also that thing which is all suited booted, but she doesn't know who Davy Locker is and things. Yeah, like, yeah. but also she, she, that's her armor, and yeah. we all have armor. Like for me, my armor doing this job was getting up every day and go for a, a massive run to be like, I can do this, I can do this. Stop the negative thoughts of like, you know, you don't know what you're doing, and I think. From, I mean, she's a fashion icon. I know nothing about fashion. I'm wearing, like, you know, dodgy Christmas jumper. and have It's got, beautiful. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, you know, I wear a smelly hat. Whereas she's got these incredible nails and, you know, she, had a, she, has a, she has that armour going into court. 
Uh, the Vardy v Rooney a courtroom drama it starts Wednesday the 21st and then the second part is Thursday the 22nd it's on Channel 4 at 9 o'clock very quickly Molotov Jukebox your yes. band does it still exist? Yes uh, we, we, we did a lot of gigs last year we had a lot that were kind of held back from 2020 um, so yeah we did a lot of gigging last year and there's a few shows next year as well and I know you brought an album out a few years ago but is there any more music no it's just it's becoming harder and harder especially trying to organise uh, the time scales because with acting right yesterday I did an audition I might suddenly have to go somewhere next week yeah. whereas with music they book stuff so in advance that there was just so much clashing and some of the band members have babies and moved away and one's in Australia you know so yeah a band member in Australia that's, <laughs> that's tricky I, I see your problem right there yeah, yeah that, that's going to complicate yeah. things listen good luck with this and uh, congratulations on it because you're just great in <sighs> thank it. Thank you. And, and, thank, and thank you very much for our Christmas treats on behalf of the whole team Aww. who are now eating uh, chocolate orange Florentine. Thank you very much. Merry Christmas. Thank you. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Adam Lambert's in the room. Hello. Hello. <laughs> uh, no, I was just saying we ordered a rock star we got one. Aww. You look like a rock star. Well, thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Full on rock star fashion. <laughs> <laughs> on the radio. Well done, you. Just so, a little Burberry. Yeah. <laughs> now, do, here's the thing. Do you live here now? No, but, but you could say practically that I do. I mean, I've been here a lot in the last couple of years. You really? And, like, and you're going to be. Like, I'm reading, yeah. I'm reading about you and, like, so much stuff yeah. is happening here. I'm thrilled. You yeah. know, I think, you know, I've, I've always loved coming over here. I love... I love British entertainment and pop culture. I love it. Um, so it's good to be a part of it. And when you're not here, where are you? In L.A. Of course. In L.A., yeah. I lived, I've lived there for over 20 years. And I just bought a place, like a little pedetier in Dumbo, New York. Oh, in wow. In Brooklyn, yeah. You're bi-coastal. Yeah, I'm, I'm bi-curious. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't actually... I've only been once now since I bought it, so I, I, I don't know if I'm officially bi-coastal until I go back and forth a couple times. Yeah, buy yeah. a kettle. Oh, no, yeah. you'll never buy a kettle. You're American. You, you, don't, you don't have kettles. Uh, so, uh, the big news... Well, the single's out. The single is out. We've yes. heard the single, Mad About the Boy. We'll be playing that in a little bit. Thank you. And it's one of those things, when I heard that you were doing a single, Mad About the Boy, I went, oh, the same name as that Noel Card song. It is. Is <laughs> How did that happen? Well, they're doing a like a documentary feature about No Coward, and I was approached by the filmmaker because they wanted to have it re-recorded by a guy because Noel wrote it about a man in 19. 19- 32, I think it is, and obviously couldn't sing it because that would have been taboo at the time. And it's been this, you know, torch song that female vocalists have done for years. And the filmmaker was like, wouldn't it be interesting, you know, sort of to kind of redeem Noel Coward to have a guy actually sing it? So I was when they presented the idea to me, I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. And I've, I haven't really done a lot of jazz before. Um, and it's, you know, it has that jazz backbone to it. So I thought it was a great idea and I was excited to be a part of it. And now th- th- you also announced, was it yesterday I think you announced the new album, yes. High Drama, which you can pre-order everywhere from Tuesday, mm-hmm. next Tuesday. Uh, you can also find information on that at your website, adamlambert.net. Adamlambert, all one word, .net. So is Mad About the Boy just a, 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 is that something happening over here and then High Drama is a totally it's different thing? It's actually going to be on the album. Okay. Yeah, it is. It, it, this, this High Drama is an album of covers. So it's all songs that that have been out there, some which you might know really well, some might be a little more obscure. But the idea is to take all these songs, completely reinterpret them and reframe them with a little added dose of Adam style drama. Yeah, Adam Lambert. Yeah, Yeah. you know, because I'm not subtle. (laughs) 
and and give it a little you know flair and give it some um, theatricality and some some of them are quite camp. Which is, you know, another thing that I've been known to do. Stop it. Yeah. Me? Can't <laughs> No. No. <laughs> and and uh, if people want to see you performing, you're going to be doing some new music on New Year's Eve. Yes. Yes. I'm doing the ITV New Year's Eve special. I'm very excited. Have you done it already? Uh, no, I'm doing it this week. <gasps> Filming oh. it this week. Yeah. Where? Where, where were you? Uh, it's at Wembley Arena. Oh. oh. Yeah. They're doing it at Wembley Arena. Yeah, they're not messing around. No, they're not. No. I'm very, I'm really excited because one of the songs on the album I will be performing for the first time. For the first time, yeah. And you seem to be one of those people who, you know, you like being on stage. I love it. Yeah, you enjoy yeah. it. Yeah. Sometimes I feel more comfortable on stage than in life. I started writing a musical what? during the pandemic, so I got busy. Wow. Where, where, where are you in the process of your musical? Um. I have about over 20 songs written uh, and demoed. Uh, we have a script currently being developed. Um, we have all of our, our team in place. We have a theater interested. In, it's it's well on its You're way. You're really down the yeah, line with we that. We did a lot. I mean, the fact that we didn't have a lot of distractions during the pandemic yeah. gave us a lot of space to get this thing on, and on the road. Can you give us a road. hint about what is it? Is it, is it brand uh, yes, new? Is I can't, it I, source I'm, material? It, the source material is, is a real life person. It's based in the 70s in New York. Yes, yes. And it's very queer. Okay, um, So yes. it's, you know, a lot of the themes are near and dear to my heart and, and things that I like to talk about. Is it someone we've heard of or just you know? You might, you probably haven't, actually. He's, he, it's a he, uh, is a bit obscure. So that's all I can say for now. Okay, but I'll be, I'll, let's play the single. Yeah. And uh, while it's going on, I'll tell you now, we're not going to be listening to it because I'm going to be guessing. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to be guessing who the musical's about. Oh, now, we've got some questions from listeners. Uh, Kelly's been in touch. Um, how did you manage to pick the songs for High Drama and how selective did you have to be when narrowing down the tracks? It, it was definitely a process because I, I had a lot of ideas and a long list and, and I also had, you know, I was collaborating with people and, and my team and my record labels that so they had ideas and... And we just sort of had to boil it down. There's 11 tracks on the album. Um, I was really keen on on making sure there was some old classics and some recent songs on there. So there's like a mix. Um, and I, I, the, the idea was, if it's going to be on the album, I have to be able to sh like shift it and change it and make it my own. Yeah. I can't just do a, like a copy paste. And what was great about that was that I got to go into the studio with the producers we worked with and really get into the process and get creative with them. So I was, it, it, even though I'm doing songs that are already written, it felt like a very, a very like creative uh, exercise, you know? Yeah. And I'm just wondering your voice, because you're not, you're not just a singer, you know, you're not one of the, you're not just someone who, oh, yeah, I, I'll sing a song. <laughs> it's, you know, it's a whole thing. It's an, it's an amazing voice. How stressful is it having that instrument, if you know what I mean? Because you know what I mean? Because you you want it to do the tricks and the things that you can do. How yeah, well, that's a good question. I, I You know, it's interesting because, you know, as a vocalist gets older, your voice does shift a little bit. And I'm finding new things about my voice that I'm really into. Like, I have a lower register now than I used to have. So I'm kind of like, oh, that's kind of fun. I, I'm playing in a... I'm getting to go lower and sort of warmer than I used to go. And... and I think the other thing is, as a musician and an entertainer, as you get a little older, you don't need to try as hard. You don't have as much to prove. Yeah. So even though I'm showy and I like the big notes and stuff, I think when I was younger, I was maybe working a little too hard for it. And now I think I trust the melody a little bit more. 
yeah. you know? It's like you trust the music that you're singing more. And also people know you can do that. You know, it's like you don't yeah. need to show it every time. It's it's yeah. you know, I think it's just it's it just comes with maturity, I think. So I'm I'm into that. I'm into like where I've evolved to. And uh, Brian May recently uh, hinted that Queen might be on tour next year. Yeah. Are you part of that? I, w- I would be part of that if we toured again, I believe. Um, I, you know, the last decade on the road with them has been unbelievable. Has it been that long? Yeah. Yeah. We started wow. because I think if I hadn't have sung Bohemian Rhapsody on American Idol for my audition, I don't know if this all would have kicked off the way it did. And I am so thankful that. That I made that choice. <laughs> I'm really, really glad I, I chose that song. Well, it's a good song to show off to. <laughs> that 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 is true. <laughs> Ten years. Yeah. And so, and but you are now it. That if if they're doing anything, it's you. They use you. Uh, yeah. So far. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's the idea. Yeah. And we can also see you. You're in uh, the new season of uh, Starstruck. Yep. On ITV. Is yep. that all in the can now? Yeah. And that will be airing, I think, early next year. Okay. And this is, if people haven't seen it, it's people. It's people doing the same celebrity impression competing against each other. Yeah. Well, if if you were a fan of Stars in Their Eyes uh, here in the UK back in the day, it kind of, it's like a version of that idea where people get transformed. They come on stage, they sing as their, their idol. And the difference is, yeah, they have teams of three of the same artist. So there's three people doing the same artist in one song. We have a handful of different artists highlighted for an episode. We pick the the ones we like the most. They sing against each other and the audience votes on who they like the most. And it's, I must say, I don't know what season two is like, but season one, the standard was really high. It, I was totally pleasantly surprised by the level of talent. Because, <laughs> you know, when I, when I, when I, I knew this would be fun. I was like, this is going to be fun. Yeah. We're all going to get a good laugh out of this. It's lightweight. You know, it's not people trying to get a record deal or like, you know, yeah. their life depending on it. Uh, so we had a good time. But uh, yeah, the talent was kind of mind blowing. And season two is even better. Wow. Uh, and uh, forgive me for being stupid. What is Get Britain Talking? That's happening this month, isn't it? Get Britain Talking is a campaign that's been, you know, being worked on here in the UK for the last uh, few years. It's about mental health. The idea is to encourage people to stop being silent about their struggles and their challenges. The more you talk about things and, and connect with people about mental health issues, it's it's believed that, you know, that's therapy in a way. You know, that is what therapy is, is talking about your problems. And does that tap into a show on ITV? Yes. There's um, Getting Britain Singing, which is a charity event that happens. We taped it already. It's going to air later this month uh, around Christmas time. And it was so much fun. It, basically, they take groups of people from different TV shows on the network and they form choirs out of them. So oh, they each a do a idea. number. Yeah. yeah, that's a fun idea. Which was really, it was, it was really, really sweet. It was really sweet. Some of it's really silly. Some of it's, um, you know, the Love Island um, uh, <laughs> choir is, get ready for that. Um, <laughs> Ooh, and talent to so, burn. And then, and, and, and then some of it was beautiful and touching and lovely. So it, it's a full night of entertainment. Wow. Uh, I mean, you've got a pied a in Dumbo. You need to buy one here. I know, I probably yeah, should. You really should, because <laughs> apparently you work here a lot. Yeah. <laughs>
That, that's what I'm noticing. Yes. Uh, the single, Mad About the Boy, that is out now. High Drama, you can pre-order that new album from Tuesday the 13th of December, adamlambert.net. Adam Lambert, thank you so much for coming in to see Thanks us. Thanks for having me. It's good to see you again. Uh, lovely to see yeah. you. Now, go be a rock star in the streets. Go. <laughs> I'll go, go skip. <laughs> yeah, go. Share the joy. There's more to come. Martin Kemp has stories galore for us from his new book, Ticket to the World, My 80s Story. But first, here's Martha with some winter treats. It really packs a punch. <laughs> it really the, smells. I feel like the Bisto kid. It was like, <laughs> I could smell it and you were so far away. <laughs> uh, so I, all morning, I've been saying you're making a lamb curry pie, but you haven't made a lamb curry pie. I've made, I've made multiple miniature. I didn't think you'd need four yeah. enormous no. lamb curry pies but I've made you four mini lamb curry pies like an individual I mean individual that's ones. so and uh, so one of the things they're saying is you could have them like during half time in the World Cup and that's good yes it was quite a clever idea, that. I know. When we were planning this recipe, it was like, do you think we'll still be in? <laughs> call them, are we going to call them lamb curry pies or are we going to call them half-time pies? But I think we can still call them half-time pies. Yes. So we're all good. <laughs> half-time pies. Well done. Uh, so, and... So the little individual ones, how do I describe? They're like a kind of almost like a mini fray bentos. They're they're that sort of <laughs> yeah. they're that kind of a side. posh a posh version. A very posh <laughs> curried uh, fray bentos. Sometimes they call them a hand pie because you can kind of hold them in your hands. Mm. That's I guess what they do. I've actually never been to a football match, but I feel like <laughs> they eat pies at football matches. <laughs> I feel I feel like the, some of the fillings going to fall out if I try to eat this on the terraces, isn't it? I mean, I would think so, but that's what like that's what I'm assuming that's what people do because they don't obviously sit I'm, down yeah, in the, the stadium, I'm, do they? I think the two of us aren't really the people no. to talk about this. <laughs> we need to get someone else in to talk about the football uh, element yeah. of this. So, what are, could you have a knife and fork uh, in your pocket? <laughs> <laughs> Made of bamboo. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, a, a pie seems like a very ambitious thing to make. Uh, hard, difficult, easy. So you're right. Pies can be very challenging. Um, this is a recipe done by Waitrose's senior innovation chef. Martin Lee. With so a Y. With a Y, yeah. Martin with a Y. He's their kind of executive <laughs> innovation chef. Of course so he we're is. expecting some yeah. heavy innovation. Oh, yeah. And he's delivered because it's not as hard as it looks because it uses lots of innovative Waitrose products to make a very difficult pie with two kinds of pastry. Stop it. Very achievable by using okay. lots of sneaky little tricks. I've just eaten half of one. Delicious. I mean, I'm not sure I could eat that on the stands uh, to go back to our football <laughs> Smuggle conversation. Smuggle it in in your pocket. <laughs> yeah, I think I could have it at half time watching it on telly. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. That is the intended yeah. intended place yeah, for a absolutely. pie like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, yeah, you, if you were in Guitar on the stand, you wouldn't want to eat a lamb curry pie <laughs> in the middle of no, maybe, maybe a salad. Perhaps not. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just something really warm, burning a hole in your pocket the whole time. <laughs> uh, right, uh, kick us off. How do we start making these? So we're going to start by making this delicious lamb curry that goes in the filling. Mm -hmm. um, that is going to be made by starting to simmer some chopped, chopped shallots. <laughs> I don't know why I said chopped three times there. <laughs> chopped, chopped, chopped shallots. <laughs> Finely chopped. <laughs> um, uh, ginger and garlic. We're going to kind of caramelise that for a couple of minutes. And then in with a jar of Rogan Josh curry paste. Okay. So medium heat. If you like curry hotter, I mean, you could definitely use a vindaloo paste or something. If you like it more mild, go in with a... A korma or something yeah, yeah. like that, if you can utter those words. Um, and then the the where this really kind of works well is we have this lovely slow-cooked lamb filling and you'll be thinking that's going to take hours of my time to do. But we're using a Waitrose pack of ready-done slow-cooked lamb shank. 
There we go. That I thought that would deserve a slow clap. Uh, that, I mean, <laughs> come on. Exactly. So you find this in the meat section. There's all sorts of lovely kind of pre-cooked meats that you just finish in the oven for half an hour and it looks like you've been in the kitchen for a long time. Yeah. But instead of even cooking it, we're literally going to take it out of the packet and shred that lamb and then put that into your sauce um, with the curry paste and the onions. We're going to simmer that along with the chopped potato. So you have a little bit of, uh, bit of carbohydrate I know, I, in there I, as well. I did notice the potato and I, I, I nodded <laughs> with appreciation. There was Everyone loves a bit of potato yeah. in a curry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that all goes in. You shred that meat in and we're going to simmer that for about half an hour until that's lovely and the meat will pull apart and it just makes... You could eat the curry on its own, to be honest. <laughs> I was very tempted to have a little bowl, but I thought it probably should end up in a pie. Um, then for the pie element, we're going to take some ready-made short crust pastry and yes. some ready-made puff pastry. Get out of here. I know. So the... <laughs> The bottom up part of the pie is yeah. short crust pastry. Oh, yeah. You wouldn't want to use puff for the bottom because no. it would be a little uneven. Yeah, and yeah, you, want, yeah, yeah. you need something robust. Mm. But the top, you want that lovely flaky, buttery crust. So we're going to roll out the um, short crust pastry, fill, line a, a Yorkshire pudding tin is what this is, so, it gets, so they're not too deep. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you could use a muffin tin and do them even smaller. Um, line those tins with that, cool down your lamby filling. And then for the top, which I thought was really clever, we're going to roll out the puff pastry sheet and then sprinkle some um, Waitrose Cook's Ingredients spiced onion topper, which is some fried onions with loads of delicious kind of Indian-inspired spices. You sprinkle that over the sheet of raw puff oh, pastry yeah. and then you roll it in so it kind of sticks into the pastry. I mean, a time for a second. I know. I mean, uh, he, Martin that. is yeah. the innovation yeah. lead, so this was very innovative. I know. <laughs> and he, then... he put a Y in his name. That's how innovative <laughs> he is. Yeah. You're going to cut that into rounds, seal it on the top, crimp it with a little knife and brush it with some egg and then bake for half an hour. Just half an hour? Yeah, just half an hour, because they're quite small yeah, and yeah, quite yeah. thin, so you just need that pastry to be crisp. The curry inside's already been cooked, so they just smell so good, I feel like. If you bought these out at half-time, people would be thanking you No, they really greatly. would. People would go hysterical. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah. And actually, oh, you know, a pint, a pint of lager and one oh, of these. Oh, it would be good. And a bit oh. of mango chutney on the side. Oh. oh. Yeah, it would make up. They suggest you could serve it with mash and greens, but I think you could do it with... A bit of rice and a oh. bit of mango chutney and a bit of... Mm. Oh, no, a bit of mash, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Greg's no. like, no, yeah. mash. Yeah, mash. Now <laughs> you've mentioned mash. mash. <laughs> now you've mentioned it, I need it. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's nearly... It's nearly enough to make me watch the football. But <laughs> <laughs> not quite enough. <laughs> not quite enough. Uh, uh, but nearly, nearly. Uh, that recipe, and indeed all our recipes, can be found in the Graham Norton with Waitrose Hub on the Waitrose website. It's waitrose.com slash showchef. And you can get all of Martha's recipes. You can also check out the recipe in see a picture and sings on our socials at Virgin Radio UK. Uh, Pie Lady, is it more gifts tomorrow? It's more gifts. <gasps> more affordable and acceptable food-based gifts <laughs> <laughs> with Martha tomorrow morning. All right, enjoy the rest of your Saturday. Thank you. Take care of yourself. Martha. I love the jingles. Oh. Christmassy. Uh, talking of love, Lynn from the Wirral's been in touch, uh, wants me to thank you for the sweet chilli jam recipe. I made it two days ago and it's, block capitals, amazing. Oh, thanks, Lynn. Now, that was last week's gift. I know. Maybe she can make this week's gift. I know. Now, this week's <laughs> gift has a sort of après-ski vibe. <laughs> it I does, like, doesn't I it? I feel like I've just come off the slopes <laughs> and you've approached with this trolley. Uh, tell me what's on it. So, this is um, a gift for people who love a hot drink, specifically a hot chocolate. OK. So, we have made, you can buy these often, fancy kind of hot chocolate on sticks, but we've made them from scratch and added a little bit of a flavour twist 
to them as well. So I've made you three different kinds of hot chocolate on sticks. Okay. And what? And so the idea is you heat your milk. Yes. So you put the hot chocolate on the stick in the cup and then you add the milk, stir it and it melts inside. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So you take your hot milk, mix it all together. And it's a really lovely gift to give because you can you can buy them a mug. So I've got these lovely John Lewis Christmassy mugs. They're £5 each, which I thought was really good value. So you can buy a mug. And very festive, very festive. And then I bought a set of John Lewis Any Day Teaspoons. And you make the chocolate sticks, as I will reveal later. Oh, yes. <laughs> you make them. It's a very simple recipe, so I don't want to give too much away. <laughs> you make them in a very complicated way. <laughs> and then once they're set, you can put them into the mug, wrap them up in a bit of cellophane, write a little nice little note, and you can give that as a gift, as a whole thing. Oh, I see. And then people just need to add their own milk. Just add milk. You can provide them the milk if you want, but yeah. maybe don't put it under the Christmas tree. No. And don't, <laughs> and don't heat it before you give it to them. No. No. Yeah. <laughs> don't. Let, let them heat the milk themselves. Um, and so I, we don't want to give the recipe away or how to make it, but can you at least give it a hint of what the flavours we have to choose from? I can, absolutely. So I've done one white, one milk and one dark chocolate, all separate. Um, the dark one is dark chocolate and rose. It's a bit of a Turkish delight. Oh, lovely. The milk one is milk chocolate, sea salt and marshmallow. Oh, yes. And the white one is white chocolate gingerbread. All right. Uh, I'm going to go for one. Of, I might go for the white chocolate gingerbread. That sounds nice. That sounds yes. People are nodding in the control, but yeah, <laughs> that's the one they'd have gone for as well. Uh, right. So I've just had the uh, white chocolate with the ginger. Was it ginger? Yes. Ginger white biscuits. Chocolate gingerbread. Delicious. Just so. Love. I mean, yeah. You could make yourself very sick. <laughs> Yeah, white chocolate is one for the people with a very big sweet tooth. Uh, yeah, that is so... It is gorgeous, though. It's just, yeah. It would love, be really love, nice love, after yeah. a sea swim. Those Wouldn't people that swim on Christmas Day or Boxing Day. This yeah. is the This is the thing that you want when you get out. <laughs> is it? I think mulled wine is really <laughs> where I'm heading. You can have a few. You can stick a little bit of rum in there I as well. I want to drink myself into oblivion <laughs> after, after I've been for Christmas swim. Uh, all right, so uh, talk us through how to make these. So very straightforward. You're going to need an ice cube tray. Gotcha. That's how gotcha. we are getting our our shapes. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to need, if you're going to make it into a full. Bit, and the bigger the better, I presume. Yeah. So the big, not probably not one of those enormous whiskey cube. Um, when you could buy them for the whiskey glasses. Oh, the Negroni like ones, yeah, enormous. yeah, yeah. That would be quite a big hot chocolate, but it depends on the size of your mugs. If you've got lots of little mugs, a little ice cube tray is fine. Yeah. If you want to do it in those massive kind of oversized, cosy up all evening mugs, then get a, a medium-sized tray. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're going to take chocolate. So if you want to make all three flavours, you want a bar of white chocolate, dark chocolate and milk chocolate. Mm-hmm. You're going to melt them separately. You can do this in little ramekins in the microwave or over a bain-marie on the hob. And then for the white chocolate gingerbread one, we're adding half a teaspoon of ground ginger into the white chocolate once it's melted. And then you pour it into the ice cube tray and sprinkle the top with some crushed Biscoff biscuit or gingerbread crumbles. And you can have creative license with this. If there's something else you think, I'd like that in my hot chocolate, you can sprinkle that on top as well. Um, For the milk chocolate, we are melting down milk chocolate and then we're topping it with a little bit of sea salt, which is really good with milk chocolate. It really brings out the flavours that you get naturally in the chocolate. Mm -hmm. And then a few mini marshmallows on top of that one. And then the chocolate one I've done here is dark chocolate and rose. So I've added the tiniest amount of rose water to the dark chocolate and then sprinkled it with a few Cook's Ingredients rose petals. Beautiful. Then you want to take either a lolly stick or a spoon pop it into the top. I used an egg box contraption to hold them up because they obviously need to set standing upright. So I took the top of an egg box, pierced 
six or however many holes in it and then use that to like hold all of the spoons together. She's a genius, ladies and gentlemen. I feel like She's I was a on genius. Um, Dragon's Den. <laughs> Blue Peter is what I was going to say, but I'll take Dragon's Den. Uh, yeah, I'm now selling these. These are a uh, spoon standing up device. Uh, yeah. How clever. And then, and then obviously you need a, 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 you know, you don't want a drawer freezer. You want a kind of uh, yeah. a freezer you can stick things in. Yeah, well, they can go in the fridge, so... Would they freeze in the, would they would they go hard enough in the fridge? Yeah, they'll go hard enough. To be honest, they should go hard enough at room temperature if your house is cold like mine. Fair enough. <laughs> so you everyone will, you'll be able to make these, don't worry. <laughs> you don't need to freeze them and obviously you don't want to put them you then need to store them somewhere cool and dry mm. rather than somewhere warm and wet. Um, yes. And, and is there a particular use sell by date, use by date on these after you've made them? If I mean if you made them now, they should last you at least till Christmas. There is, yeah. However, however long the use by date on your bar of chocolate that you used to melt, that would be the same. I would have thought. And as you say, lovely to put them in the mug with, and then put cellophane around it, and then be, it's, a, it's a complete gift. Yeah, it's a really lovely, thoughtful, slightly homemade, and kind of yeah, Christmassy gift. And also, you can make them in bulk. Oh yes, I've heard of people selling these at kind of church fates or raffle, school raffles. Yes. Yeah, just just a bit more special than just a mug, because you always get a lot of mugs at Christmas, and it's nice to have one with something in it. Yes, something <laughs> delicious and sweet. Hot chocolate sticks, sticks, part of the Gifts Made with Love campaign. Uh, so these are edible gifts. Thank you so much, Martha. Recipes past and present can be found in the Graham Norton with Waitrose Hub on the Waitrose website. You just go to waitrose.com slash showchef to see all the recipes prepared by Martha. You can also see what these look like by uh, checking out uh, the recipe and the visuals on our socials at Virgin Radio UK. It's as simple as that. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Right, time to meet my guest. A Ticket to the World by 80 Story is the book. Its author joins me now, Martin Kemp for to see. Hey, hey. Nice to be here, Graham. Uh, lovely to see you. I was saying while that record was on, this book, because it, it, it really does chart it, like I was saying, it charts your story, but it's also the story of the decade. Of, That's of the... exactly what I wrote it for. It was about telling my story, but letting people come on my journey so it reminds them of yeah. their story. Uh, and it's kind of like for people that um, were in the 80s like yourself that want to remember it, or it's for people that weren't there so that they can experience it. But also, it's so weird. So you start New Year's Eve 1979. Yeah. And it could be New Year's Eve 2022. I mean, there's so many parallels. Oh, it's ridiculous yeah. what was going on there. You know, the war and how poor the, the uh, cost of living. Winter of discontent. Or win, yeah. Winter of discontent. It was so difficult back then. And I think that's what makes... The 80s is really interesting for me is that, that you have to understand it from just before the 80s, like 79, when for me, growing up, everything seemed to be in black and white. The, the television in my house was black and white. The newspapers, the, the, the music magazines that we read, like NME and Melody Maker, it was all, all in black and white, yeah, everything. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, we went into the 80s and it was this... It was as if someone switched the colour TV on, the switch on, the colour switch. Yeah. And it just went kaboom. There were magazines like Smash Hits. There were people face, were dressing face. up. Yeah. yeah we, it wasn't the face yeah. ID magazine. And it wasn't just about punk saying back in the 80s, uh, 70s saying, yeah, everything is like chaos and let's destroy it and there's no future. There was ambition. 
Yeah. Which uh, just changed amongst everyone. And, and pop culture changed like that. It, I wonder what the, what the youths of tomorrow have got in store for us. Uh, I mean, yeah, maybe, I there's, maybe there's something big on the way. Well, you know, I, I kind of... For me, I feel it's frustrating for me because I feel like... The new romantic era was the last of the great pop cultures. You know, Britain has been filled with them, from the Teddy Boys to the Mods to the Rockers. Yeah. We all had a look. But now it seems to me like pop culture is based behind a computer screen uh, and kids on Facebook, and that is their pop culture. No, it's also, we refuse to go away. Yes, that, It's our right. fault. Yeah. It's our well, fault, we're still Martin. here. We're, we're still here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're not supposed to be here. Yeah. <laughs> it's supposed to be someone else's turn. And so in 1979, you'd done one gig, I think. Yeah. And, but then what's amazing is, for you guys, with, you know, with Spandau Valley, it happened relatively fast then. Oh. Within three or four years, you are in Wembley. It was absolutely like being on a rocket ship. You know, one minute I'm at school dreaming that I want to be in... A, the Who or Pink Floyd or, or you know, one of those yeah. huge bands. And the next minute, I'm doing it. And it was kind of like from 79, I was dreaming, to 80, I was on the Learjet travelling around Europe uh, and experiencing it firsthand. Yeah. And I would say in the middle of the 80s, Spandau completely lost the plot. You know, we completely, our egos were bigger than anything that you can ever imagine. Now, we we only used to see it as two bands in the world, and that was us and Duran Duran. And, and we had Europe and they had America. And it was so, it was kind of, our egos had left the planet. But I, and when I look back, I'm really pleased that they did. Yeah. Because I would hate to experience all of that. And they never. Yeah. And also, it'd be that terrible thing. If, you don't want to be sensible. You don't want to, yeah, you know, you want to you want to be a pop star. And tell me about that. So the Blitz Club is kind yeah. of the, that's kind of the, the fulcrum where it all began yeah. for so many bands oh, and things. Huge. Who were the ones, so when you're in that club and you're all hanging out, yeah. and what's great is, I love the, the pictures in the book where you name all these people, yeah, yeah. you know, and some made it, some didn't make it. Yeah. Who were the ones who you really didn't think would make it, and then they became huge. Who were uh, the ones you just thought, oh, you're a joke? Off the top of my head, Boy George. Yeah. Boy George, <laughs> he was absolutely out there. You know, you would never have thought that he would have become, within a year, probably the biggest star in the world with Culture Club. Yeah. But the first time I ever saw Boy George, he was, Spandau were on stage in the Blitz doing their first ever gig. And I looked down to my left and Boy George is taking people's coats and putting them on hangers in the cloakroom. <laughs> so it, there he was. And that was, but it wasn't just Boy George, you know, it was, you know, I dedicate the book to Steve Strange, yeah. who run the Blitz, who so many people owe their lives to him. Because in that club that night, probably there were Bananarama, there was Ultravox, there were the beginnings of Visage. So many bands yeah. went on and on and on. And not just bands, it was clothes designers coming from the local... Well, you said Catherine Hamnett was there as yeah, well. Catherine yeah, Catherine Hamnett was there. Uh, there were so many... Uh, uh, Stephen Jones, the hat maker, oh, yeah. was the, the Milner for the yeah. Queen was there, so it was, it was just filled with people and possibility. And it's funny that isn't it that that the, uh, the I guess maybe it was you. Were you the first to make it? Were you the first guys to make it? Uh, yeah, I suppose so. Because what happened with Spandau was we became the kind of figureheads yeah. for the Blitz and the New Romantics. Because in the same way the the mods become the figureheads for the uh, the Who became figureheads for the mods and the Rolling Stones for the Rockers in that way. So as soon as Spandau got into paper, then everybody the uh, you know the eyes of the world were on 
on the Blitz. And it seemed there was a moment in the Blitz that it seemed like whatever you dreamt of, whatever anybody spoke about that they wanted to do, happened. Yeah. And it was this magical kind of window that everybody had. And it was that weird thing where it comes around every now and again, every few decades, where London seems like the centre of the universe. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. it seemed like this was where everything was happening. Oh, it absolutely was. It, yeah. And, we, and I kind of felt that we knew it as well at the time. Um, or maybe once again it was my ego. But it just <laughs> felt like... It felt, but listen, I was, uh, what, I was 19 years old. I, I was 18 years old when I signed my first record contract with Spandau Ballet. Wow. So I was only a baby. In the middle of the book is that huge cultural event, Live Aid, yeah. uh, which you were at the heart of. Yeah. Um, and I didn't realise that uh, how much Bob Geldof wanted Springsteen to be a part of Live Aid. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but Springsteen wouldn't do it. You know, because Springsteen was only just playing um, Wembley a, f a few nights before yeah. Live Aid. And so what Springsteen did was, in the end, was let uh, Bob use the stage that he left behind. That was his contribution into Live Aid. So oh, the stage that everybody was on, the Live Aid stage at Wembley that day, was yeah. left behind by Bruce Springsteen. Wow. It was his stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that was his contribution. But he said he was too close to doing... Wembley and Live Aid at yeah, the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I reckon it's one of those things that he wished he had done yeah. because it was the pivotal moment of the 80s. For me, that when I look at the 80s, it's always pre-Live Aid and post-Live Aid. Yeah. Uh, and the bit in the middle is right on that money. And was that one of those moments where you knew what a big... You know, sometimes it's only yeah. when you look back you realise yeah. this is a big deal. Yeah. But presumably on the day you knew. It's absolutely that, you know... Really, uh, you only re it only really becomes historical in retrospect, most things. But with Live Aid, you knew exactly what was going on. You knew how big it was. Two billion people were watching it around the world at the same time. Yeah. Two billion people. So you knew how much, what he was doing. And also you knew for the first time that bands were getting together and the way that charity was working. Uh, this was, you know, before Live Aid, I don't think bands ever mixed together apart from bumping into each other in the corridors of Top of the Pops. Yeah. You know, this was the first time. Uh, and so it changed everything. It changed the way that bands interacted. It changed and worked with each other. It changed the way that uh, charities worked. Uh, and uh, listen, it was absolutely one of my highlights uh, of you, being in You the tell band. a funny story of the book where uh, you did that... <laughs> You decided to uh, premiere new music at Live Oh, Aid. yeah. I mean, yeah, it's... Well, you know, it's always a disaster, isn't it, when you go to see a band and the, the words that you really don't want to hear is, like, here's one off the album, you know. <laughs> and, and so Spandau, you know, like what I was saying earlier, you know, we'd lost the plot at that point where our egos were far too big. And all I remember, you know, is... Tony going up to the microphone, two billion people watching it around the world, and Tony goes, and this is a new one. And everyone went, oh. <laughs> And you could see around the world this butterfly effect of, of, of shoulders dropping. <laughs> 
Well, it didn't. It didn't. It didn't destroy you. It's also I, what I. The other thing I like about the book is it's not just your story. It's also the story of you and Shirley and yeah. that romance that kind yeah. of played out over yeah, yeah. over the decade. Yeah, I mean, I mean, listen, I, I'm I'm the luckiest man in the world finding her. Uh, I remember the first time I ever saw her. It was uh, 1982. Wham! We're doing their first appearance on Top of the Pops, and I was at home with my mum and dad because I still lived at home with them at the time. And I'm sitting on the floor with my back up against the arm of the sofa and I'm looking at Wham! And I absolutely fall head over heels in love with Shirley through the television screen, right? Completely infatuated. Two weeks later, I, get to, I go to this um, after-show party and she's there. So I walk over and I give her my number and, and it took her probably three weeks to call me, right? I, and I think it was probably something to do with the fact I, I was wearing makeup <laughs> at the time with too much mascara. And uh, so I gave her my number and she takes it away and she tells the story that in the end she's hanging out with George, George Michael, in his bedroom. And he says, why haven't you called him yet? And he picks up the phone, dials the number and gives her the receiver to talk to me. And oh. so he brought us together. Oh, that's yeah. a lovely story. And, uh, and very quickly, we must mention your uh, the, the craze film, which, yeah. which comes in, just squeezes yeah. into the... Squeezes in. It, well, it, it yeah. was, you know, it was the end of uh, the 80s. Yeah. We started that. I'd never heard you uh, tell that story before about... Um, which Cray got in touch with you? Oh, yeah, uh, well, no, I went to see um, Ronnie. Ronnie okay. Cray. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he was in Broadmoor at the time. And... You know, when you go into Broadmoor, it's a very strange atmosphere because, you know, it is essentially a hospital. Yeah. Everybody is wearing their uh, their own clothes, and, and so it's very different to going into any prison. But the security is exactly the same. And so when we go in, I go over and I see Ronnie, and he's sitting there, and nobody warned me, right, that Ronnie had a really high-pitched voice. <laughs> and it wasn't what I was expecting. I was expecting Ronnie Cray to speak like Danny Dyer or something. Come over here, Mark, I want to tell you my story, you know. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. He, anyway, Mark, I'm really pleased <laughs> that you're doing the, the plan part. So, so I'm sitting there talking to Ronnie, and Ronnie is as open as you can ever imagine, you know, t yeah. telling me everything. Anybody wanted to murder, anybody who did murder, what it was like. It was, I mean, it was more than open. And I'm sitting there talking to him about that. And on my right is the Yorkshire Ripper. And I think, what am I doing here? Wow. You know, I am in the strangest situation. And it was even stranger than that, than that because in the morning, I'd just done swap shop with Spandau Ballet. <laughs> That's quite the day. Yeah, sublime to the ridiculous. <laughs> Uh, Martin, we could talk all day, but we must we must wrap up. Let's just remind everybody of the book. Uh, Ticket to the World, My 80 Stories, out in hardback now. Thank you so much for coming in to see Not us, Martin. Not at all, my pleasure. Always oh, a pleasure to see you. Come and see us again. Now you know yeah. your way. Now yeah. you know your way. Take care of yourself. Hey! So Christmassy. So Christmassy. Now, if I was listening to this on the radio, I would think, well, they don't really have Christmas crackers there. He's just going to open an envelope and tell them what they want. No, we've got Christmas crackers. Martha's going to be pulling them with me. And we are giving away three prizes. OK, caller number one is Deirdre. Hello, Deirdre. Hi, Graham. Hi. Uh, where are you? I'm in Stockport, Manchester. Gorgeous. And what are you up to this Sunday? Uh, I'm actually here with my daughter and her newly born baby. Oh, what's the baby called? Uh, Inda. 
Inva, we've no interest in your daughter. We're just straight into the baby. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your daughter? Sorry? What's the name of your daughter? Sarah. Sarah. You, you forgot for yeah. me. You'd lost interest in her too. <laughs> I have a grandchild. <laughs> so brand new Granny Deirdre. Let's see what we can give you. Uh, we've got a choice of cracker number one, cracker number two, cracker number three. Which one would you like? Uh, I'll go for number three, please. Number three. Okay. Uh, in order to get this, you've just got to answer a quick little Christmas question. It's very easy. I <laughs> know uh, it really okay. it is. It really is. I think even the newborn might know this. Uh, <laughs> Which of Santa's reindeer has a red nose? Rudolph. Correct. Well done. Okay. Martha, have you got cracker number three? Oh, I'm ready. I've got number three. Okay, number three. Let's give it a good old pull. Here we go. Cracker number three. Oh, oh. very good. Martha's got the winning Ooh, end. Let's have a look. Okay, reveal what has Deirdre won. You have won a Graham Norton with Waitrose Christmas gift box. Oh. Do you want me to tell you what's in there? Oh, you, if you know, tell us. I know. A fantastic collection of Waitrose Christmas goodies, including Heston chocolate pennies, Stollen slices, dark chocolate truffles, number one fig and balsamic relish, and Leckford Estate Brute. Oh, and don't don't forget the Raisin Green Reusable Hot Drinks Cup. Oh, and, sorry, I didn't, the dot, dot, dot threw me off. And dot, 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 a Raisin Green Reusable Hot Drinks Cup. Congratulations, Deirdre. Oh, thank you, Graham. Well Brilliant. done. Uh, and congratulations on being a granny. That's fantastic news. Thank you. All right, enjoy the rest of your Love Sunday. Bye. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, next up, we've got Samantha. Hello, Samantha. Hello, Graham. Hi, where are you? Oh, I'm in Nottingham. Oh, I'm so overwhelmed that I'm talking to you and it's my birthday today. <gasps> we've had a granny, now we've had a birthday. Oh, oh. happy birthday, oh, Samantha. <laughs> is it is it a biggie? Is there a zero at the end of it? Oh, no, I've had that one. I had that one four years ago. Oh, OK. So we're heading we're heading towards that. So this is we're, a, heading a, for, we're heading to one that's uh, similar to yours next year. Oh, that bad. Oh, I do, yeah. I, I do, I I do commiserate, Samantha. <laughs> well, hopefully, we, you know, you're going to win something. Now, what Deirdre won the big uh, gift box, so that was the medium-sized gift, OK? So there's either a smaller gift, which is lovely, but it's a smaller gift, or there's the £500 waitress voucher going a-begging. Would you like cracker number one or cracker number two? Uh, cracker number two, please. OK. Uh, you, just before we get to the cracker, you've got to answer a quick little Christmas question. True or false, Samantha? The book, A Christmas Carol, was written by Charles Dickens. True. You are correct. Yes, oh. well done. <laughs> OK, so, uh, listen, good luck. Hope you win big. Here we go. This is me and Martha pulling cracker number two. Number two. Thank you. Oh, oh. oh. Martha's getting I'm all the luck. Again. Yeah, she Come won again. On. What? What? Is Samantha oh, getting? You have won some Heston with Waitrose fig and pear mince pies in triple cheese pastry and some tipsy blue potted Stilton. <gasps> cheese? Oh, cheese and some mince pies. Delicious. Samantha, it's, it's probably not what you wanted for your birthday, but... <laughs> no, it doesn't matter. I've spoken to you on the radio on my birthday, so that's made up for it. Oh, Thank you. and also it is a thing. It's a delicious thing that is winging its way to you. So you have Gorgeous. won something. You're a winner on your birthday. That's the main thing. Absolutely, absolutely. Enjoy the rest of your day, Samantha. Take care. You too. Merry Christmas all. Bye. Oh, Merry Christmas to you. And finally, we've got Gillian on the line. Hello, Gillian. Hi, Graham. How are you? Uh, not as well as you, because I think we know what you're going to win. <laughs> well, I've still got to get the question right. Oh, that is true. You could get that wrong. <laughs> uh, um, where are you, Gillian? 
I'm in Hertfordshire. All right, we've had a brand new granny. We've had a birthday girl. Anything going on for you today? We're just putting the Christmas tree up, so I can't really beat being a granny and um, <laughs> and having a birthday, I'm afraid. But I'm sure it's a beautiful tree. Uh, have you got the lights on at least yet? Not, not yet, not oh. yet. Yeah, so you are you, that joy to come. Yeah, you haven't actually started yet, have you? <laughs> no, we haven't started yet. <laughs> Don't drink at lunch. That, that's my tip. Uh, mind you, you might have to celebrate. Uh, so you are getting cracker number... Th- was it cracker number uh, one is the one that's left? So cracker number Thank one, you. you're getting it. So all you've got to do is finish the title of this Christmas song by Wham. Last... Christmas. Correct! Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> We're pulling a cracker and you're going to win big. Here we go. Uh, that's hey. it. The cracker pulled. Martha's got it again. Oh. Uh, oh, please God. reveal the scores on the doors, Martha. Right. Okay. You have won £500 to spend at Waitrose for your own Christmas party. Go on, oh, Gillian. Thank you, Graham. Thank you, Maria. Have a happy Christmas. Yeah, I, w- I would decorate the tree tomorrow. Uh, go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> P- pour yourself a stiff gin to celebrate. Uh, congratulations and Merry Christmas to you and yours. Merry Take care Christmas yourself. Merry Christmas to you. You too. Thank you. Oh, thank you very thank much. You. Thank you so much for joining me on the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. And hey, make sure you are following us on our socials at Virgin Radio UK to see everything from Graham's Guide to Gorgeous Dishes from show chef Martha. Speak soon. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio.